So I have to tell you, I really do welcome this time of year. It can be uh, very busy, but there's so much potential for good. I just really do rejoice in it. Uh, you know, we begin with Thanksgiving, and um, and besides all of the food and the family and the fellowship, which just is fun in itself, we take time and we express our thanks to God for all that he has done. And something about that is just right. And then we look forward to Christmas, and we have all of the good things that surround Thanksgiving, the food and the family and the fellowship, but we also remember the birth of our Savior. And so in the midst of the gift-giving and getting and all of the celebration, we endeavor to keep the incarnation, that amazing expression of God's power and love when he came to us in the flesh born as a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. Uh, We try to keep that in front and center in our homes and thoughts. Uh, We're more successful at that at some times than others, but it is certainly our intent. And again, there's just something that's right about that. And when all of that is over, we come to this time. We look forward to a new year. I must confess that uh, over the years, my appreciation of the idea of celebrating the new year has grown. Uh, Before I was a Christian, it was, of course, just an excuse to indulge in excess, and yet even then I, uh, I saw that that was something less than good. And when I came to faith in Christ, it seemed to me like the least important and maybe even the least redeemable of all of the holidays. And I had a really unfortunate tendency to look down on it and all the things that surrounded it. But God is gracious, and he has led me, I think, step by step to a better outlook. I don't really know where the change started. It's been so gradual and it's been so long in the making. But maybe it was when I first realized that God saw something good in it. Uh, he, uh, he after all, commanded that the Israelites would observe the new year each year and every year. And that new year in the Jewish calendar is associated with the Passover. You'll remember God's great act of deliverance when the angel of death passed over the Israelites' houses and then God led his people out of Egypt. But the Passover is not celebrated right at the beginning of the new year. And and I think that God intended that. I think that's significant. If we think biblically, we realize that it is God who makes a new start possible, <coughs> excuse me, and not the new year. Anyway, I've come to appreciate the good we find in the idea of the new year. It marks the passing of time. That is, it reminds us that we are all moving to an end. We may be celebrating a new year, but we cannot get very far away from the thought that another year has gone by, and that truth grows more significant the older we get. <coughs> Excuse me. It marks, too, a kind of closure. You see, whatever has happened has happened. It's in the past, and at some point it must be left in the past, whether the thing was good in our eyes or bad. God has made us not to dwell in the past. We can remember it. 
And we have to live in the now and look to the future. It's also a reminder that we have not yet arrived. In many cultures, there is some idea associated with the new year. <coughs> Excuse me, Frank. Um, I'm sorry, Chris, do you mind? Oh, you're so wonderful. Thank you. Uh, this is the downside, guys. I took all the medicine I could. Anyway, it marks a kind of uh, closure, as I said, and it's also a reminder that we haven't yet arrived. In many cultures, there uh, is some idea associated with the new year of making resolution. That is a, an attempt to make our lives better or, or to be better people and to get rid of the bad things and the old things. And in such things, we're acknowledging, even if we don't understand it clearly, that we have not been all we should be. That is, we need to change. And of course, for us to believe, we realize that the power to change, I mean to really change, does not lie in us. Even if we're able to make some positive transformation in our life, we know that it is less than the tip of the iceberg. It's less than the tip of the tip of the iceberg. It is a mere scratch on all that honest eye could see. And there really is so much more, just as was the iceberg, that we cannot see. <coughs> Any real change comes from God. The good news is, He's willing to do it. And it's that change that I want to talk about this morning, this change which God and God alone can make in our life. We want to look at that this morning, and the good news this morning, this morning and every morning and day and evening is, if you are a Christian, the new is here, and it's here to stay. So I'd like to invite you to join me, if you would, please, in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where our scripture reading was, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 19. Now, I have to begin with just a word of explanation here, if I can. This passage that we're considering begins with the word, therefore. <coughs> Sorry. And you all know that old Saul, right? Whenever you see the word, therefore, see what it is there for. So Paul has just concluded a section in the scriptures in the previous passage where we are told we ought to think about Christ and his work like no one else and his work. Christ's work, the things he, the person he is and the things he does, does are like nothing else that anyone else can do. What God does is unlike anything else anyone can do. And that truth really does become evident as we consider what follows. So the passage is so very famous that many of you know it by heart. But let me read to you first, uh, if you will, the, the part that is most familiar to you, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
Now I'm going to stop right there and talk about that for a little bit. Uh, this sentence isn't complete here, and what follows is going to add to our understanding, but this really is a good place to start. We often use this passage when we're talking to someone who does not know Jesus Christ, someone who is not a believer. And it's especially helpful when talking with someone who is feeling the weight of their sins. And so we tell someone like that, if they come to Christ, they become a new creation. In fact, grammatically, this is a statement of identity. And you might be well asking, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, simply put, it simply means that the first thing equals the second. The person who is in Christ is a new creature. Being in Christ <laughs> equals being a new creation. And these aren't just words. We dare not think of them like that. This is God's work. And we cannot think about his work as the same terms that we think about the things that some other being can do. It is a fact. It's not a hope so that we have here. The person who is in Christ is a new creation. He or she is a new creature. And that has been good news to so many people down through the ages. There is within that statement the inherent understanding that our sin all of our sins, all of the things we have failed at, all of the things we're ashamed of, all of those things which we know about ourselves and which we would almost die if anyone else found. They're all gone. We bear them no more. Every last one of them is gone, taken away on the cross of Christ. Now, talking about that with someone uh, talk to them about our faith, someone who doesn't know Christ, we're quick to point out another word in that uh, sense, and it's the word anyone. Anyone means just what it says. Anyone. God is inviting you to become a new creation. Now you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, you can't mean me. You don't know the things I've done. And that's the truth. I don't know the things you've done. But God does. And this is his word. And he means exactly what he says. Anyone can become a new creation. You just have to come to Christ. That's all you have to do. <coughs> and maybe you are here today and you know that I'm talking about you. We don't know that, but you do. We know it's a possibility that when I'm talking up here like this, I may be addressing someone directly, someone personally. And we hope that if anybody's here and doesn't know Christ, that they'll come to him. But we can't see what's inside of your heart. Only God can know what's going on there. And yet there is someone in this room who does know. God is here, and he knows. He knows all about you. He knows what's going on inside of you. He knows your secret thoughts. And whether you know it or not, 
he brought you here today. He is telling you, he is telling you he will make you a new creation. All of your sins will be gone forever if you just come to Christ. Right there in your seat, you can ask God to save you from your sin. You can be saved by what Jesus did for you on that cross when he died in your place. And if you do that right now, then you need to tell me about it or someone else who walks with Christ because there is so much more yet to come. And, and if you don't quite understand what I'm talking about, then you need to come and see me or you need to go talk to someone else who is already a follower of Jesus. And we'll explain to you what's going on here. I, I guarantee you, you will never regret it. Most of us in this room and millions of other people besides testify to that truth. So this is a wonderful passage in talking with someone about our faith. But what's interesting here, however, is though obviously Paul knew it would be used in this way, and it should be used in this way, and he intended that it should be used in this way, and the passage was written to do just that. It wasn't written just to unbelievers. It was written to those who are already believers. And again, he wants us to use it in evangelism, and, and we still see that shortly, but there is another purpose toward Paul's writing here. And, and we see that in the second half of verse 17. Now, before we look at that, I, I, let me uh, set this up a little bit for you. When we were first coming to the faith, think back and remember this. When we were first coming to the faith, it was good news to us to know that we could become a new creation. And then when we put our trust in Christ and what he did for us on that cross, we experienced that wonderful relief from our sin. And we knew that we'd become a new creation. And we rejoiced in that. But it wasn't very long before we experienced something else, too. We discovered that even though we were forgiven, even though we were a new creature, belonging to God, we could still sin. And we did sin. And we wondered what that meant to us. And the second half of verse 17 addresses that issue. It adds to our understanding of what God did in us when we first put our faith in him. But it tells us about our life as we continue to make our way through this world. Let me read it to you right now. The old has gone. The new is here. You know, that's true for the one who has just put his or her faith in Christ in the last moment. And it's true for those of us who have been in the faith for decades, in spite of all of our failures and in spite of our sins. Now I'm going to go into this passage a, a little deeper, and I'm going to make some references to the Greek language here, which the New Testament is written in, uh, which I think can be very helpful to us here. You see, when Paul wrote these words, the old is gone, he used uh, what's termed uh, an errorist verb, 
which describes something that occurred in the past and was completed in the past. And so what he actually said, if we were to try to put it into our words, is that this one-time act, which happened in the past, at that point, everything which was old, and here he means all of our old nature, our sinful nature, has been done away with. It no longer exists. Everything associated with our own life, our sinful nature, is gone. It's dealt with in the past, and what is done still continues in this day. So I want you to think about it this way. When you hear this statement, the house burnt down, we understand that happened sometime in the past, but the house is still gone today. When God took the old away, he took it all away. At that point, when you put your faith in Christ, he took that old away and it is still gone. And I, and I know you and I, we still sin. But the sin which we committed since we've come to Christ, the sin which we commit today, the sin which we will commit tomorrow and the days to come, all of that, every bit of it, was included in the original act of God delivering us. It is God's work. And it's like the work of no one else. God only can do this, but it is exactly what God does. And we have his word on it. The old has gone, and it is gone forever. And in its place, the new is here. And it's here to stay. Now, the Greek tense here is uh, referred to as a present tense, and it's a little more difficult for us to put into English, but it's really quite easy to understand. The perfect tense is really action which is completed at some point and continues in that completed state. So it tells us the result and state of being. An example of the statement is this, the house has been painted. So that may have happened five years ago, but it was painted, and by the way, in case you didn't realize it, it's still painted today. That's what he's telling us here. That's the point. Of course, our example here falls short of the reality because the house is going to be, need to be repainted again, right? Uh, but what God has done, what he has done in our lives is complete, and it never needs to be done again. It and again, this is God's work. And what God does, no one else can do. His work is like no other. The new is here. And it's here to stay. So although we sin, it doesn't change our status. We are new creatures in Christ. The old has been done away with forever. And the new is here. And it's here to stay. And it's good. It's really good to be reminded of that, especially at the start of a new year. And what we've talked about so far is really a foundation for the rest of the passage. And we're going to look at that, but we're going to necessarily be more brief now. 
So after stating this amazing truth that we have been talking about, we are new creatures in Christ, and the old has been done away with forever, and the new is here and is here to stay. Paul goes on to say in verse 18, all of this is from God. Now Paul's being really clear here. Only God can do this. Only he can do it. And we continue reading, only God can reconcile us to himself through Christ. Again, this is God's work, and his work is like no other. Only he can reconcile himself, us to himself. We don't do this. You understand that. We do not do this. We come to God, and he does the work in us and for us. And the truth is, my friends, we only come to him because he first draws us to himself. I believe he's all drawing all people to himself. I think that's reflected in the word anyone in verse 17 and many other places in the word. But God is the one who does the drawing. And when we respond, he does the saving. Now, I want to take just a, a moment to talk to you about what reconciled really means. And if we ever think about that word, we tend to think about people who are feuding or bickering. And, and when they're reconciled, we have this picture of them shaking their hands. And they're now friends, or at the very least, they've, as a saying, goes buried the hatchet. But that's really only a faint image of what that word means here in this passage. Here we're talking about parties who are enemies. Now, you may not know this, and you may not feel that it's true, but it's the clear teaching of the scriptures that before we come to Christ, we were God's enemies. By saying that, I, I don't mean that God was ever against us, but we were, at least by our actions, against God. We were his enemies. And most people, they don't feel that way, but it is the truth. And some people actually do think about God as the enemy. You know Martin Luther, who led the Reformation in the 1500s, one time said before he came to Christ, he hated of course, when he came to Christ, he realized that it wasn't God he really hated, but his own ideas of who God was. But when we're talking about reconciliation in this passage, we're talking about enemies who are coming together. And, and just as it's too small to catch the idea of this passage, so being me friends is just too small. When we're reconciled to God... We're not just made his friends. We become his children. We belong to his family now and forever. He is our heavenly father. And that, that is exceedingly good news. And notice, it was through Christ. And Christ alone were reconciled. There is no other way. There is only one way, one and only way to come to God. And so all of that talk that you hear people saying about all roads leading to the same place, like so many spokes on a wheel, is simply rot. It is not true. 
What is true is that every road leads to a fork. And you must make a choice at that fork. And then it leads to other forks. And every one of those choices leads us, in the end, not only farther away from God, but farther away from one another. Rather than clothing closer to God and one another, we get farther and farther away. And left to ourselves, that would be our fate. We would be lost forever. But God has made a way. And thank God he's made a way. And it can be found on any one of those roads that we're talking about, but it leads you away from the way you're going. And it leads you to the one true living God. Now maybe it seems a bit narrow to you there only being one way But if so, it's only because you're thinking of the work of God in the same way you would think of it about the work of any other being. You see, there is only one way, but as we've said, thank God there is that way. And since God is the one who's doing the work, he is the one who does the reconciliation, we can be sure that each person has his or her opportunity. You and I take confidence. God has this thing in hand. But we do have our part to play, which brings us to the remainder of the passage. At the end of verse 18, we learn God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. As a result of belonging to God, belonging to Him forever, we are given a ministry to bring other people to the cross so that they may too be reconciled to God. You know, and I came to Christ because God was drawing us from whatever path we had been treading. He drew us and he showed us the way. Likely he used someone else to come to us and tell us what he had done for them in Christ. And we put our faith in him. We became at that point a new creature where all of the old self is done away with forever and all that which is is here and here to stay. We understand it is all God's work. And so there is nothing else like it that anyone else can do. But we know it. We live it. We've experienced it. And God says to us, okay, now you go out and you tell others about this new life. Tell others what I have done for you. Verse 19 simply defines our ministry. Our ministry of reconciliation, we read that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's what we've experienced. God loves us. We know what he's talking about here. This is the message we're to take. God is saving people just like he saved you, just like he saved me. He's saving people one person at a time by bringing them to Christ. And he will not count 
And once we know this truth, we know it from the inside. Our part is to live it out on the outside and tell others what we know. And you know something? It is really nothing too big for us. It is not too big for us. It is not too hard for us to do. It's simply our story. It's what God has done in us and for us. That's our ministry, yours and mine. And I think, I think that is an awful happy thought to go into the new year with. And who knows? If you're faithful, maybe at this time next year, you'll look around and you'll see some who are here because you told them what Christ had already done. God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That is our message. So, my last chance to talk to you. Father, thank you for what you've done in our life because of Christ. Thank you that you have loved us so very much and that you drew us to yourself before we even cared for what you loved us. And once we've come to you, you have made all things new to us, taken all our sins away, and you renew us each and every day, day by day, day in and day out. In your faithful Help us, please, to return in some small way that measure of faithfulness by sharing.